I was originally scheduled to teach on Wrath in the fall, and then I got sick, and so we rescheduled now. So Wrath is um, kind of interspersed with other virtues now. Um, I couldn't resist the the sci-fi geek joke. Um, we're having some technical difficulties, but we should be fine. Yes, he is. <laughs> That's why it's the wrath of man and also woman, but, you know. <laughs> uh, I'll go ahead and quote the, the verse, um, and then I'll... Well, it's a little low, huh? Okay. There we go. This is our kind of verse for meditation, and then we'll pray. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Dear Lord, as we come before you this morning, uh, give me the grace to speak your truth and give us all ears to hear what you would have to say to guide us into virtue and to become more like your son, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That should be my parenting <laughs> mantra. <laughs> um, Something I have to remind myself over and over. Part of why I volunteered for this particular vice was because I feel like I need to work on anger. And so let me learn about it. First of all, we're going to say, what is wrath exactly? Um, because anger is not in and of itself sinful. It's just an emotion that we have. But uh, wrath, according to Dante, is the love of justice perverted to revenge and spite. So there is something good at the center where there is a love of justice. It is anger at the wrong things out of proportion and badly expressed. You could be right, but just uh, rude. Okay, And it is opposed to prudence and to patience. You know, Prudence being the knowledge of the good and the right, and patience also having to, um, being integrated with hope. Uh, the Lord himself in scripture is described as being angry on many occasions. So there is such a thing as righteous indignation. Um, and so our task today is to kind of parse the vicious wrath uh, from righteous anger. Our verse, another verse is, be angry and do not sin. Did you know that was possible, to be angry and not sin? Um, the Pixar guy is from Inside Out. Uh, he is anger in that movie, which is, has all the emotions. Um, he's described at the beginning as being really concerned about fairness. Okay. So that's what he's good for. He's really concerned about fairness. And God is very concerned about fairness as well. 
uh, we would call that justice. Right? And Hal Merck did a great job of explaining all that entails. Um, meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. The um, exhortation to be still and to trust in the Lord will be echoed again and again, so we'll come back to that. But first, a quote from Aristotle. Getting angry is easy, and everyone can do it. But doing it to the right person, in the right amount, at the right time, for the right end, and in the right way is not easy, nor can everyone do it. And when you put it that way, it seems fairly clear. Uh, we're just going to cover three dimensions of anger. Is it appropriate? Okay, Anger arises out of an appraisal of a situation or a person. Is that aligned with reality? Okay, Sometimes we're angry at things. Um, you know, appropriately insofar as we are angry at sin and injustice, um, but sometimes we're not. The second point is, is it proportional to the offense? And the third, is it well expressed? Now, I don't mean eloquently expressed. I mean well in the sense of good and healthy. Um, is the communication of that anger appropriate? And what good has it done? Okay, that's about the kind of the end that you're going for. And we will explore each of these more in turn as we go. Um, these are kind of questions for self-examination, because this is how we can um, discern whether, where anger is going wrong. OK, so the first is, is it appropriate? Appropriate anger, like I said, arises from an accurate appraisal of sin or injustice. This requires discernment, obviously, and a solid moral formation. Because um, it's very easy to be inappropriately anger, angry, um, arising out of other vices, such as pride, for instance, or envy, uh, two that come to my mind very quickly. Um, I have, I found it interesting that I was supposed to give this talk in October, and now I'm giving it post-election, and I, and I find that there's a lot of uh, wrath in general in my social media feeds and whatnot, and so I, it's been um, educational for me to kind of say, okay, what is, what is reality, and are we angry at something that is sinful, is it unjust, or are we angry for some other reason? And that's not easy always to determine at all. Um, the book of Jonah is great for this because it's a very clear story about someone who is inappropriately angry. Um, as you recall, uh, Jonah, this is chapter 4, was very angry that God showed mercy to the Ninevites. Now, he was told to go and preach God's judgment, and they repented, and they were sorry for their sins, and so God relented and did not, you know, bring down the hammer upon them. And Jonah is upset. He's angry. 
And the Lord asks him, is it right for you to be angry? Now, clearly, in Jonah's case, no, because it is not right for you to be angry at the Lord's mercy. Um, but there's even, I won't go into all of chapter 4, you can read it on your own, because there's a plant that springs up to give him uh, shade, and then it withers and dies, and Jonah's angry about that, and he might as well die. He's so angry he's going to die. And the Lord repeats, is it right for you to be angry? And he says, yes, it is right. You know, so I find myself in Jonah's position sometimes. Yes, it is right. It is right. Um, but it's not. So this is a good question for self-examination. Um, another example that came to my mind was if a child spills a glass of milk and the parent gets angry. Is it right for you to be angry? Uh, this is the paradigmatic example of something that's not worth crying over. It's not worth getting mad about. Uh, but if you're the one who has to clean it up, sometimes it's hard not to be a little bit angry. Right? So you see how we think of wrath as like this huge, big emotion. At least that's how I thought of it. But it can occur in very small situations because if we're defining it as kind of anything that's inappropriately angry, you know, that's out of balance, um, then it, it, the root can be very small. Um, another example would be uh, if a husband asks his wife to clean the kitchen and she takes offense. Okay. Is it right for her to be angry? I would say there is not enough information in this <laughs> particular example. Uh, it's certainly not a sinful request unless it was rudely communicated. Um, I love there's there's a uh, is it Avett Brothers Avett Brothers song, Avett Brothers, see, um, called the Divorce Separation Blues. But there's a line that says bad communication, worse interpretation. Right. I think. We very um, clearly, in almost any relationship we have, have instances where some small thing becomes the site of a big argument. And we have to ask ourselves, is this really about what it's about? Uh, often it is no. In other words, the, the, the argument and the fight, the anger is not actually about the remote control or the kitchen or the laundry or whatever it is. Uh, there's something else there, and that needs to be discerned um, and communicated appropriately, right, uh, rather than inappropriately. And that's a challenge, so that kind of hits me uh, where it is. And I think, is it right for you to be angry? You know, is whatever you're angry about aligned to reality? Because there's a story that I'm telling myself about how... Um, you know, I am the victim of injustice, or you know, somehow. Uh, but is that aligned to reality? Um, you know, have I been disrespected, unappreciated? You know, it's so easy to say, well, you never, or you always, um, whatever it is. So we need other people in our lives to help us see reality clearly and to check those things against the truth, 
Um, and that's, that's not easy. Sometimes that requires a whole community of people. Um, but that, but that's, that's the key challenge I see with this particular dimension, because it's hard to know sometimes whether uh, you are angry at something that is truly an injustice and sinful, or if it is, for some reason, your own pride getting in the way, or some other vice. Okay. Second point, is it proportional to the offense? I don't know how many Game of Thrones watchers we have in this room, and without being... Uh, too spoilery. This is a character from that show, Arya Stark. Uh, she is um, known for her bedtime prayer in which she recites the names of everyone that she wishes to kill. Okay. So the, I could not think of a more clear contemporary fictional example of wrath than Arya Stark. Now, to be clear, she has been sinned against. Great injustice has been done to her. So it's not as if she's not right to be angry. But you have to ask yourself, is, is her anger proportionate to the offense? And in some certain cases, in this list in particular, this is her bedtime prayer kill list, um, no, it's not. Because it's, it's just her kind of chanting the name of everyone she hates who's ever done anything wrong to her, um, whether or not it was a capital offense. And how often we do the same thing because we get wronged and then we add them to a list of everything that it's ever been done wrong to us. So I kind of find myself a little bit in Arya Stark and yet it is so disturbing to see it portrayed on screen for a little child, for a girl, to be so fueled by anger and revenge that that's really all that's keeping her alive at this point. That she's, this is what she lives for was uh, revenge. She has a love of justice, but it has been perverted and uh, it's become destructive to her. Okay. And the third point, is it well expressed? Um, the book that uh, Matt Milliner gave us um, noted in its wrath chapter that righteous anger leads to productive action. Okay. It leads to, um, what was the word? The, a, res a response that is good. Not rash action, um, but a productive response. And again, well expressed is just my pithy way of saying, is it expressed in a good way, in a healthy way? The, the best kind of righteous indignation drives us to a confrontation with the person who may have offended us with the goal of reconciliation. Um, and it drives us to work for justice at whatever injustice has caused us to be angry. We are there, therefore motivated to take action to correct it. Um, now, this is Jesus driving out the money changers of the temple. And I find this interesting because I don't usually think of violently taking a whip as the well expression of anger. That's just me. But apparently it was because it must have been appropriate. Um, 
He was appropriately angry. It was proportional to the offense. And it led to an action that truly um, brought justice to the people who were being uh, targeted and ripped off monetarily by these people in the temple. So he, the zeal for the Lord's house consumed him. I also want to point out that prayer is a productive action. We are to pray for our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. And sometimes that's the best, maybe all the time, <laughs> it's the best thing to do before we act, but to first pray. Um, this is also a challenge to me in our day and age because um, it's easy to share something on Facebook or on Twitter and to retreat uh, maniacally, and that's not necessarily productive action. It feels like we're doing something. Um, and, and maybe to some degree that's okay, but I, I think sometimes we can, uh, I, I know for my generation this is a, definitely a thing, but you know, we're just, we're just kind of doing stuff on social media, we change our profile pic to align with some cause, but then we don't actually ever contribute time or talent or money to help this situation in any way. But we feel good about ourselves. You know? um, so I, th I think that's a challenge <laughs> in our day. One of my Okay, so those are the three dimensions of anger and three questions for self-examination. Now moving into kind of part two. This is one of my favorite quotes. Hope has two daughters, anger and courage. Anger to correctly identify the thing that needs to be changed encourage to work for that change, the courage to forgive, the courage to make peace. And both must be tempered by hope. Um, if anger is without hope, right, then it quickly becomes destructive. And this is where anger for me really um, becomes a struggle. What happens when, no matter your courage or um, your hope in some certain sense, the injustice remains? You know, what happens when we can't change anything about the thing that's making us angry? When our hope is frustrated, when we're angry over things that we simply cannot control. That's where it really hits me the most. Um, so where do we place then our hope, if not in change for the situation per se? I mean, you know, we can't do anything. The scriptures do have a suggestion for us here. Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, 
when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. We see four things here that I want to particularly draw out. Be still, wait patiently, turn from wrath, and hope in the Lord. I think sometimes um, this gets theologically very complicated, what I'm about to say, but when we get to verses like, for those who are evil will be destroyed, it's very easy to rush in with nuance or something. Um, and, and I don't deny all of that. I'm sure, I, I hope you can fill in the blanks. But what I'm saying is, this is in the scripture <laughs> to say those who are evil will be destroyed. Um, that's all of us, but it's also, I mean, evil will be destroyed. You know, we don't, we don't want to undercut or underestimate uh, evil. I find it very easy to do in my life because my life is relatively good and I have a lot of comfort and a lot of safety. Um, so we, we sometimes don't know what to do with these very angry um, kinds of scripture passages where evil is destroyed fire and brimstone and all that. Um, but God really cares about justice. That is one of his promises to us, that justice will be done and evil will be eradicated. Um, I've got one more verse. In Romans now, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now that seems right there to, to acknowledge that maybe even if you've done everything, you might not be able to live at peace. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. God's anger is always righteous, always accurate in its appraisal of sin and injustice, never out of proportion, never petty, never out of control. He is not pacing heaven and stewing over the sins of the earth. He is not lashing out, out at the angels and the saints because he just can't take it anymore. His is righteous indignation, and there will be judgment. And this verse does refer broadly to that judgment, and the psalm did too. God is promising justice. And this should drive us to our knees in repentance, um, but if we are the injured party, and we all are both perpetrator and victim, um, if someone has done us wrong, then the promise of justice is good news indeed.
when I think of people who have done, um, well, let me just tell this story. I, I watched a interview with the woman from, I believe it was Cleveland several years ago, who had been kidnapped as a teenager and held hostage in a home for several years. Bore the child of her tormentor and he had uh, held in the house two other young women. Uh, they barely escaped. I mean, they were years in this home. Now that is evil. That is evil. And after she escaped, she sat down with Dr. Phil and they had this long talk and I was uh, captivated. But at one point, I mean, I mean, she was raped over and over again. She was at one point chained to a bed. She was, you know, denied medical care in the birth of her son. So many horrible things. And he, and he um, played the women in his home against each other so that they could not join together against him. He was always keeping them apart. So she wore all kinds of hurt and pain, and this is real injustice. And it came to the point in the interview where um, it was brought up that after he was arrested and he was going to trial, he killed himself in prison before he served the length of what would have been probably a life imprisonment. Um, and that didn't seem fair to her. And Dr. Phil noted this was probably the best he could do, um, that she was stronger than, than her tormentor. She was stronger than he was because she survived all those years in his house, imprisoned. But he couldn't even take one year in jail. And that did comfort her. But I watched that and I thought, we as Christians have something else to say. We have something additional to say. Because that man who killed himself did himself no favors. It is a fool who thinks he can escape the justice of man and run into the arms of a God who cares about justice. And I think we ha that is good news to the women who were captured in that house. That even if he killed himself in jail, God will take care of him. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. I, I used to read this um, as basically saying the same thing twice. It is mine to avenge. I will make them pay. Okay. A friend of mine, uh, who's now a vineyard pastor, uh, taught this in a different way and it's forever changed the way I understand this verse. Um, he said, no, God is saying, I will do two things. If, if you are robbed, uh, there has been injustice done to you something has been lost. And your instinct is to go and chase down the people 
who robbed you and get your stuff back. God says, no, I will avenge. I will chase them down. And I will repay out of my own pocket what you have lost. God himself will repay you for the injustice that has been done. Now, I don't know the divine exchange rate on this. Because clearly there are times in our lives when we lose things, when injustice has been done, and it doesn't seem like there's a one-to-one exchange rate on what God gives us back. Right? It's not necessarily life for wife or wealth for wealth or dignity for dignity, necessarily. But nonetheless, I find this such a powerful promise. Uh, For what we have lost, temporal things, creaturely things, mortal things, God will repay with eternal things. And the truth is, some things can never be repaid with any created thing anyway. But the Lord, he is able. His loving kindness is better than life. God pours himself out. He gave his whole self on the cross. He gives himself at the table. And on the day of Pentecost, the spirit pours himself out on all flesh. The first time I taught here on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I noted that the best gift God ever gives us is himself. And here I return to the theme. Um, It is mine to avenge. Don't you try to do it. I will repay. As Christ said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Any questions? Right. And it could spur us to action. Right. And then these scripture verses seem to say, sit back. Right. Be chill. Let God take care of it. Any thoughts on how we balance those two? Yes. They do seem a little opposed. Um, I don't think anywhere in the scripture says that we should not work for justice, right? Or that we should not reconcile with our enemy, right? And so those are. That also anger kind of fuels, right? We want to go and tell the person, hey, you hurt me. And, and then we are given an opportunity to reconcile and to forgive them. Uh, but it, there's no sense in which there is nothing to forgive, uh, and therefore the anger is okay, right? Um, but I think if, if we have no hope in the ultimate justice of the Lord, uh, then we, it's very easy to fall into wrath, destructive anger, or just kind of generalized despair, and then not do anything in a hopeless way. Um, I do think it's good to be still before the Lord before you act um, in any way. So I think there is that sense of you're not being uh, rash, you're not just 
spouting off the first thing that comes to your mind, right? Um, so maybe the, the wisdom there is to, you know, you can write the email, but don't send it. You know, wait, be still, meditate, pray about it. Um, does that... Very well said. Yeah. And God may not, as that, right, we also know that even though God chases down the evildoer, it may just be to get them back into the fold. I mean, you know, as, as the sheep is lost, he also calls our enemies back to himself. So on, on both sides of the equation, both the vengeance and the repayment, it's up to God. It's his business. It's what he's doing. And he's done it. Right. 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 Uh, you know, when you talk about Jesus' anger, he never had any personal anger. His anger was always for God. He, he, he got the money changers because they were making his father's house. And uh, when he was confronted, he, he was like a sheep. He never right. Said it. Right. So uh, he's God, we're not, and so sometimes we do some of those things which is kind of low, you know. Right. Kind of harsh. Yep. But there's many more scriptures that talk about turning the other cheek, you know, uh, um, and letting God repay you. And as far as what happens in the world there, he says over and over, I, this is not your home. This is not a good place.
And we, right. And there, there's no hope for an ultimate right. judge who will judge rightly, whatever that means, right? We're not, we're, we're not to be angry at the Lord's mercy, but also we're not to be um, minimizing the evil, evil right. either. Yeah. And Job's great because he addresses his anger. He's honest to God about his anger. And God not, doesn't necessarily give him the answer that he, no. he wants. Um, but I give Job credit for not just cursing God and dying, right? You know, I mean, he, he, he brought it to the Lord. Job yeah, I, I think it's instructive that you gave us the example Here's someone who's happy to let God be the judge and visit his vengeance on the Ninevites, but then he's angry when God doesn't visit the vengeance he wants him to visit on this people. You know, that he, so in that sense, he wants to take, take the judgment back from God because he, he didn't do his job, right? He didn't. Yeah. He, didn't, he wasn't properly wrathful at these people. Right. right? Um, so that, that's, a, that's a counterpoint. Who, Jonah? Uh, Jonah. I yeah, guess, Jonah uh, does. Uh, Jonah yeah. yeah. And gets repaid. God yes. gives back. Yes. You know. He, he repays um, Job. He is taken. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan? Yeah, I think it's right. If, if all we want is for our enemy to suffer, even if he has done us truly wrong, then we have not heard God's full message, right? Because um, I think God would want to say, well, yeah, this person may need to repent. But ultimately, it would be, the goal would be to restore a relationship or to bring that person also into the knowledge and love of the Lord. So it doesn't ever stop with just, ju you know, be miserable. Yeah. Um, did you have a question? Um, I, Dan 
Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, Joy. Right. Yeah. So it's just, um, basically, it's, it's, it's who does it fall back on? Does it fall back on you or does it fall on someone else? And most of the time, it's actually, who did it fall on someone else? Wait. And pray. Pray. Fall back. Good thoughts. Um, we're out of time, so we'll have to uh, be done. Thank you very much for all your comments.